coming up it is the out of sight podcast i am your host adil royster chill ride chill vibes as always sixers won last night against the washington wizards or sunday night against the washington wizards good win keep the wins coming keep them flowing we like it we like that going into 2022 nice and fresh and on the winning side of things i have a very special i guess late christmas gift for everybody I've got Dave early on the podcast. Uh, Dave, say hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays. As as great as Dave is as a Christmas present for everybody, because we love talking to Dave every week, uh, we have a special guest. First timer on the Out of Sight podcast on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, a where you can find a whole host of Vox Media podcasts. First timer, hopefully not the last, Derek Bodner formerly of The Athletic. He's the new creator and founder of The Daily Six. Derek, it is an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on my podcast. Derek, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm, I'm doing well. Also, Liberty Ballers alum. So Liberty right Ballers back alum. home. Yes. <laughs> Vox Media alum, too. I, I <laughs> probably isn't as well known, but I, I was a network engineer with Vox Media. Uh, so all kinds of, of uh, homecoming wow. here. So this, yeah, I was you just can say, probably this, read read all our uh, pieces that are in the works. This is no, I used to be able to, but no. Um, <laughs> they they lock you out of everything. <laughs> yeah, well, no. When you when you leave, they do kind of they tend to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, there was there was a point where I was writing for SB Nation and then also a network engineer for Vox Media. Uh, so I was all involved in that company. Uh, it was a it was a good time. I enjoyed my time there. And, but and I'm now, doing well. I'm doing and, and now you're the new creator of this new newsletter that you have, the Daily Six. Um, I have not subscribed yet. I'm getting there. Just I promise it's happening. Um, but how how is that transition going? I don't know. Maybe you've answered this question before, but like I'm always interested in finding out. Yeah, no, it, it's going well. Um, you know, obviously I um I had gone this route, a subscription newsletter route before, uh, back before joining the athletic. I was running a Patreon, so a little bit, um, you know, little comfort level there. It is certainly a big, you know, I basically a while back uh, over the summer when I was starting to think about whether or not, um, you know, I wanted to pursue another contract at the athletic or whether I wanted to go somewhere else or basically just think about where would be the best place for me. Um, I come to the decision pretty early that I wanted to go and try this again, or at least at the, the best place for me, what place that I felt most comfortable that I could do my best work would have been this route. It just took a month or two to sort of build up the courage to actually go through with it. Um, Because you did sit there right before I launched and go, well, shit, nobody's going to subscribe. What am I going to do now? Um, But it it is once I got past that courage or summoned up that courage, uh, it was a pretty easy decision to make. uh, And it's it's been going well, going well. And I hear what you're saying with that, just because when I was starting to get into things, I was fan posting on Liberty Ballers for a while, but also doing some independent stuff with some websites. And I had thought about maybe submitting some stuff to like Philadelphia Daily News or the Inquirer, stuff like that. But then I was thinking with my writing style, like, I don't know if that's necessarily the best fit for me. So sometimes it is a fit thing that you have to... um, kind of negotiate with yourself or 
Yeah, no, look, uh, uh, there was a while back, um, I want to say, oh, geez, what was maybe 2015, 2016, somewhere in that range, where, so, like, basically, Patreon, right before The Athletic, uh, 2017 was the first time I had been a full-time basketball writer. Up until that point, the previous six years, six, seven years, I was doing both the combination of network engineering uh, and then also, you know, contract work writing about the team and about the NBA draft. And there was a point in, I think it was 2015, 2016, like I said, that time frame where I, I interviewed for a spot for a full-time writing gig and I didn't get it. And I was really pissed off because I just thought this isn't going to happen. There's only so much longer I can do this as a, basically a second job. Um, I'm going to burn myself out. And I was upset and disappointed. And after watching the person who did get that job and the constraints they were put under, and I don't want to be too obvious about what I'm talking about, but it's definitely NBC Sports Philadelphia and how that you know, basically the constraints made me really realize that in order for me to be successful, I need to be a place that lets me be myself. Uh, and so the outlet has always been important to me. And that was a big part of why I decided to go the newsletter route. Um, I just, I want to focus very heavily on, you know, just deep dive day to day stuff. Uh, and not that I couldn't at the athletic, but that I felt like I could do that more here and that I could basically reach my own goals and set my own editorial direction if I succeed at that and was the best version of myself that I could be, I had the best chance of, you know, basically keeping my foot in the door in this, uh, in this industry and in this market. And it's, it was just something where the more I thought about it, um, and I'd been watching a bunch of, you know, I remember watching Ben Falk and hit and stay independent. <clears throat> and now I'm watching more people both in the NBA and, and tech spheres go the newsletter route. And it was just something that I really felt like I had to try because it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a challenge that I was excited about. I heard a. And it's really weird. Of, it's really weird talking about this. I'm really bad talking about this and being a sales <laughs> pitch because I just don't enjoy talking about myself so much. But right. it was it was definitely a challenge that I was excited for. Well, I'm a subscriber, so I can <laughs> I could uh, do a little bit for you. I've loved it so far. Okay, Dave. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Way no, to put me on blast. What what one of us has to have read it? We can't have them on otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I really especially like the insight you gave about the Damian Lillard potential trade or not trade situation because I didn't know the context around that, whether or not to trust these reports that Dame might be available. And I read your piece about it and you gave some good context for that. And I was like, you know what? I don't trust it anymore. So it gave me <laughs> what I thought was a more valuable perspective and a way to read like the Woj bombs. So, so far, so good. Uh, I heard a podcast, you talked to a friend of ours, Trill Bro, and you talked to him sure. about there was a growth mindset at The Athletic, and it was hyper-focused on getting new subscribers. And not that you had to neglect your diehard base, but you couldn't necessarily give them everything they wanted. What do we diehards want that you couldn't have given us everything <laughs> at The Athletic sure. that we'll get now? <clears throat> Well, I think it, it sort of goes back to, to my, my main point. Um, you know, the athletic was very much a growth mindset, which makes sense. They're, they're trying to sell a company, um, but everything was about bringing in new subscribers, which again, I think makes total sense for their, their market, their, their business plan, because they have so much, there's so many quality writers there that if they lose any one person, you're not going to unsubscribe. Uh, they have, they've built basically a machine. So they need all of their writers to continue to bring in new subscribers so they can reach their goals and make their shareholders happy uh, and all of all of that stuff, and quite frankly, sell a company. My whole writing style and sort of like the way I built my career, I don't want to go chasing something that is going to reach new fans so much. My goal isn't how can I extend my 
um, reach? How can I reach fans I've never reached before? When, when we're selling subscriptions, that's really what it is, especially subscriptions on that scale. You've got, you've got, all right, you've got your base and your market. How can I expand that? And with the athletic, that's what everything was. Uh, and how can I convert then that view to a subscription? And how can I make the ju- story juicy enough to do that? My whole thing is I want to take the people who have been following me for a long time, make a business model that can sustain myself and be at a spot where I can make them happy and add value. And really what I want is to have the freedom to the small details. Uh, you want to like reference said, Tony Roten without explaining it? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but like you said, when something happens with Damien Lillard, my mind's not going to go, I don't want it to ever go. How can I sell this story? Because I feel like that's yeah. sort of wrong. That's not what we as journalists or even as analysts. And I think a lot of times we talk about like, you know, being honest with reporting and truthful with reporting. I think we should be truthful with analysis too. I don't want to ever have to go, well, how can I package this to reach as many people as possible? That's not the style I want. And that's not how I want to build my reputation. What I want to do is say, okay, well, but what does this actually mean? Like there's all this noise. What does the noise mean? There, it, maybe that's a trade rumor. Maybe that's how the team is playing. Oh, the team has lost eight of 10. Does that matter? I want to be able to sit back and go, okay, well, take a step back. Is it just a shooting slump? Can I avoid hyperbole? Can I avoid sensationalism? And just give you my honest, truthful opinion about stuff. And I think that's important as an analyst. I think that's kind of writing I want to do. That's sort of where my mind goes anyway. So like I said, my whole goal is to take the sort of like the um, people that already follow me and know of me and are willing to subscribe to me and make them happy um, and avoid all the trappings of the internet that I can along with that. And I think by doing it as an independent, slimmer model, it's easier to do that. Um, I definitely felt like if I went back to the athletic and and signed a new contract, um, I would have to sort of drift away from some of that and drift away from the deep dive cap breakdowns and the deep dive analytics, not because we weren't allowed to, but because those weren't selling, those weren't reaching a new, new audience base. Those were people who already knew of me. And I just want to get back to sort of like what I, uh, you know, what I prefer to write. And people have a, a couple days left to get in on the, uh, nope, that's initial gone. discount. That's no, gone. That's gone. <laughs> okay. uh, you, you waited too long. Um, yeah, there was a, initially... I, I have no problem paying full price. I have no problem <laughs> whatsoever. Fine. So there was initially a, uh, what I call the founding members discount. And what was different about that was it was a yearly account, but it was not just discounted for the first year. It was discounted for every year. After that, um, it was a perpetual discount. Uh, but no, that, that, that actually ended last night. Sorry. All right. So we, we're in this, like, I guess, podcast purgatory loop where we want to talk Sixers. If we don't talk about Ben Simmons. It's absolute to, hell. To me, at least, it starts to feel inconsequential burrowing down into like the Shake Milton Seth Curry combos. <laughs> if God. if we pivot, if we pivot to Ben, a lot of us get fatigued because we've heard all of these trade versions and stuff before. So where where are you finding your your passion right now in terms of covering? Oh, this not group? talking about Ben Simmons, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. I, I think I think you're right. There is there is a fatigue in the fact that we have been talking about this gosh darn trade for. Five months now, six months, um, at least, and very little new information is out there. 
I'm sure you've probably gone through and like the million tweets on, on Twitter to write your next story, which always freaks me out. Cause I never know what you're <laughs> writing about. Um, Dave is real great about going and finding old, like three year old tweets. Really every time is. he likes it, I'm like, well, is he, is this going to be like another retweet Armageddon or is it working on a story? I have no idea. Well, um, I, I have really, really enjoyed yours and Rich's forecasting and foreshadowing over the years. So the first thing I wanted is what's going to happen in the Sixers beat pod. So I, I don't have anything to announce on that right now. I will be podcasting soon. There is some details to be, uh, to be ironed out there, um, but I okay. don't have anything to announce on that. But yeah, it's, it's stuff like that because I remember last year or two, even two years ago, and you were saying like, they're, they're getting extra wins. They might get that three seed with Boban, but they're not experimenting enough for the playoffs. It's going to bite them. And last year it was the exact same thing. It was they're playing Ben and Dwight. I'm worried. And you said this, I'm worried that they're going to play Dwight his minutes, no matter the matchup yeah. and it's going to bite him. And it did bite him. So that's part of the reason I like to go find those things when, when things were, were predictable and we suffered through them anyway, that especially uh, triggers me. So I have to go find those sure. sometimes throw them into a, uh, but my point is, I, I guess in order to, to really follow the Ben Simmons trade saga, I should go back and look at your tweets. Cause you're probably liking all kinds of stuff from months ago uh, for your next article. Um, <laughs> I, I no, find, I, I find that like it's to get out of the Sixers podcast slash reporting purgatory that we're in. like, I try to find like the little, the, the little nuggets of like fun of this team. Like obviously everybody's going to be writing about like Tyrese Maxey, stuff like that. But like me, I've been a huge, huge. And Dave knows this and a, an immense Andre Drummond fan this season. So anytime something silly happens with Andre Drummond, like he Euro steps for sure. some odd reason, he gets like 20 rebounds in a game. Like those are the things that are kind of keeping my mind, like from going off the deep end. Yeah, I, I think your mind's going to go off the deep end, though, in the playoffs when he's, he's playing. Um, you know, he, he sort of fits into that mold of, of concerns I have uh, for postseason basketball and for Doc Rivers and how he's going to use them. But, yeah, no, he, he certainly provides entertainment at times. I've, I've enjoyed, quite frankly, just watching Shake Milton for a lot of the season. Uh, I think he's doing a lot more of the little things. I think he's been a, a, a pleasant surprise. You know, Two years ago, Shake's value almost entirely came down with hitting pull-up jumpers at an unsustainable rate. I think he's yep. become a better basketball player uh, here this year. And obviously, Tyrese Maxey is just a blast to watch. Um, those are probably where... And, and for con- I, irrational confidence, if I was a coach, would drive me insane. I would understand if a coach didn't want to... But, but as, a, as someone who's just watching the game and an entertainment factor, Furcon <laughs> is incredible. I love watching him too, even if it doesn't always lead to winning basketball. Uh, yeah, there's there's some small things to take. I do think this team, by and large, is a frustrating team right now, though. Uh, you know, a team that was built almost entirely to surround Joel Embiid offensively under the assumption that you had Ben Simmons who could sort of mask a lot of those weaknesses. Uh, a lot of those weaknesses now are being exposed, and I don't think they're the best brand of basketball to watch right now. But going back to it, Ben Simmons trade update, I mean, I think this, I've always thought this, once they got past that initial awkward stage in the um, in the preseason, I thought this was always going to go right down to the trade deadline. Uh, mm. I still think that's going to be the case. Do I think Daryl Moore could theoretically hold on to him longer than the trade deadline? He could. I don't think if I was going to forecast, I don't think I would think that's the most likely outcome. I think he is traded, but I don't think he's going to be traded beforehand for sure. So if you were to forecast, would you, would you pick the week up to the trade deadline? Like, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere early. in that range. Yep. And the, 
the latest reports you're seeing now is the Cavaliers are really kind of interested. And I'm looking through their roster and obviously Colin Sexton is injured, so you can't really trade for him. But if you're a Sixers fan, for example, if you're trading Simmons for a whole bunch of like future draft picks, like that kind of shows that Maury is kind of punting on the season, doesn't it? Because there's not much else you're going to get back from Cleveland. Well, I mean, it's one thing for, for Cleveland to be interested in him. It's another thing for Daryl to be interested in the trade. Uh, I True. mean, Minnesota's been interested in the whole time, but that doesn't mean Daryl's been ready to trade him over there. Um, you know, as I think much as I would love D'Angelo Russell on this team. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a joke. Maybe. Oh, I don't, I, I wasn't going to say anything because I wasn't hundred percent sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he would sort of, you know, yeah, no, okay. obviously nowhere near good enough. Um, I guess Dave's a big Russell guy. I'm not a no, big no, Russell no, no. guy, but if you, if you, you, you said on your site that you've mingled with NBA execs, if you had to pick like three teams where, you, where Ben lands, where do you where do you think of the highest likelihood that Ben ends up on? Oh well, I I think Minnesota could be right up there. Um, what I've always thought and always said is that Minnesota is a team that has probably had the most consistent interest in Simmons. Yep. But they need a third team to get involved because they don't have what the Sixers want. And I think that as we get closer to the trade deadline, I think that remains true. It's just who's going to be that third or fourth team to jump in to make it make sense for the Sixers. So yeah, I think any team that has the interest in Ben Simmons is going to be you know, one of the likely destinations that he ends up as, I think that is, I think Minnesota is towards the top of that group. You know, I think Cleveland has had interest in the past. Um, Sacramento, I think, is a team that has pretty consistently, now they claim that half their team is off limits in such a trade. So who knows, can you really be that interested in Ben Simmons if you won't trade Tyrese Halliburton? Mm-hmm. No, you, that yeah. suggests you're not really that can interested. We, do you trust those reports that they're not interested uh, I think they wouldn't trade Halliburton for him at the beginning of the season, sure. Does that mean that he would be off the table at the trade deadline when they're underperforming for the 14th straight year? We'll see. Uh, um, yeah, Gentry is more disappointed than he's ever been. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but no, I, th- I, think, I think Minnesota is up there towards the likelihood for sure. And are there any... I think you've mentioned that you think the, the idea of a step trade is what your gut is telling you at this point, right? Where they improve incrementally and maybe not really move the needle setting themselves up for essentially two blockbuster trades. Is that something you think we could see? Yeah. Well, I, I certainly think um, Daryl, if he had his druthers would love a top 25 player at this year's trade deadline. You got the guy that you want. You get to keep Joel Embiid happy. You get to make a run deep in the playoffs. I just don't think that's going to be necessarily available at the trade deadline. So that starts, you know, I guess the question sort of comes, do you target like a top 35 player and just say, well, that's the best we could do? Or you, do you target maybe a slightly worse player, like a top 50-ish player with another extra draft pick or two along in there uh-huh. so you can then make the move that you actually want in the summer? Um, I, I do think that is a possibility. You know, something where you can add to your roster, say, look, Joel, we got such and such player. We're going to make a more serious run this year with the acknowledgement that you're positioning yourself for that next trade. Yeah. Are there any, we always talk about Ben Simmons, but like in your eyes, like are there any other players that you feel could be moved at the deadline before the deadline? Oh, I think just about anyone could be moved. Uh, I don't think Daryl is, is going to be nearly as tied to the roster as fans are, which makes sense. Fans are fans. Um, You know, obviously if you're talking about Tyrese Maxey, you would have to start talking about a top 15, top 20 esque player. 
Uh-huh. Uh, there aren't very many people who are going to package Ben Simmons with. Along with Tyrese Maxey, where it makes sense, but I don't think like untouchable is just not a word, I think, outside of Joel Embiid that Daryl has in his dictionary. Uh, certainly, I think he would trade Tobias for the right price, but who would trade for Tobias is a much tougher yeah. question. Um, no, <laughs> I think do, I think anything could be on the table. I feel like you do dream... something like Ben and Maxey for SGA. Yes. That's tough. You know, on the one hand, if you look at what SGA did last year at 22 years old and the numbers he put up, the combination of being a, you know, I think in terms of high volume off the dribble shooters, I think he had like an effective field goal percentage right in like the mid 50s, which being able to be make those at highly efficient rate or relatively efficient rate for those shots. If you have a guy who can get a mid 50s effective field goal percentage anytime he wants off the dribble, along with a guy who can get to the free throw line like he did. That's real intriguing. He's obviously taken a step back this year. I never really know what to make of him on that team. I'd love to see what he looks like in a more competitive team, but that is not the route that Presti went. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of his regression this year is shooting variants. I don't think too much of that concerns me. But I'm not 100% sure if he is the exact right fit alongside of Joel Embiid. And that would... And this is this is kind of what I'm going to like allude to. But like you see like Embiid's, you know, time frame, the window that he has, like he's in his prime right now, like trading for SGA. Does that kind of fit the timeline or does SGA still need some a little time in the oven to season a little bit like that? That would be my main concern with SGA. And and that's where playing on a team that doesn't even pretend that they're trying to win makes it real tough to evaluate mm-hmm. because you're right at 23 years old. Um, he can, he's putting up real good numbers and last year he put up real good numbers efficiently, but can he, all the little nuances of winning games, especially as a point guard are very important. And does he fit Joel Embiid in terms of play style perfectly? He fits pretty well, but I'm not sure he's a perfect fit. You'd love somebody with a little more deep range, consistent deep range off the, the screen than he does, but he's pretty good, reasonably good fit. And is he ready on Embiid's timeline? And that's huge. And if you're going to trade Tyrese Maxey along with that, because that's really your only two high-value trade ships in one trade, you have to be 100% sure that SGA is the right fit in the right timeline. Yep. I'd hesitate right now to do that. I wouldn't summarily dismiss it because I think it's, in terms of talent, that's as high as you're going to get in the Ben Simmons trade. But I'd have to research a little more and talk to people around the team around SGA and really dive into what his struggles are this year and whether this year is a better representation of his skill set or last year was. I think it's last year, but I have to know that for sure. I would hesitate now, but I think it's reasonable. Like, I, th- I think a lot of people are going to say, can't trade Tyrese Maxey, period. Um, I don't necessarily believe that, but I have to sell myself a little more that SGA is the exact right fit because you can't, you can't miss this. Like, there can't be a... If you would miss on this trade, there's there's nothing left. It's funny because what you say about SGA now is exactly what I said about a possible Zach Levine trade last offseason. Yeah. It's like, look, I acknowledge that Zach Levine had a really good offensive season last year where all of his numbers were up across the board. Do I think that this is really what Zach Levine is, or was this a one-year aberration? Yeah. I was well, not I- trusting that. And I, I don't think SGA is a one-year aberration, but I need a little bit more to be convinced that he's going to be a top 20 player yep. for the next three to four years. 
And it, part of that might just be I need to do some more research because, quite frankly, I don't watch a whole ton of Oklahoma City games. There's just they're not an interesting enough team for me to watch on a, <laughs> you know, if, I'm not going to watch more than him play what five to ten times per year, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'd have to do a little bit more research. But um, it's it's like I said, upside wise, that's about as I think the most you can hope for in any kind of a Ben package. And you're not going to get that. To be clear, you're not going to get that for Ben straight up. Um, but in order to trade my second bet, or you know, my other real main trade chip, I just have to be sure. It's hard not to think about Daryl Morey here because he once famously traded for James Harden from the Thunder. Yep. So let, let's go up the totem pole a little bit. Um, I, I hosted you before, just before they hired Daryl Morey on a podcast. And after like five minutes of talking, you said, I think this is the gloomiest podcast I've ever done. And <laughs> we, we were like in the bog and the mire of the collaborative. And okay. Okay. Uh, what, so let's take a step back. How would you grade Daryl so far in Philly? And, and what are some things that have bothered you or some criticisms you might fairly have? I would say largely incomplete. You know, I think he, you know, last offseason was an abbreviated offseason. He, he got players that fit. Did well there. Certainly, I mean, the Seth trade is a, is a home run. We haven't really seen... He, he basically punted last offseason. And I, I don't necessarily think that was the wrong call because I don't think you can really... like You don't want to go changing your role players when you don't know who they're complimenting. Uh-huh. And this trade with Simmons is so significant and Simmons is so unique in, in what weaknesses he can cover up on the uh, supporting staff that if you're going to have to reshuffle the pieces around him you want to see who you're bringing back in that trade and i don't i i'm not anti holding on you know i think a lot of people are mad at him for not having made the trade yet and i you know a lot of times when i talk about analysis i can only go back and say well what did i think was the right call at the time and how has it played out and in the offseason i said look if cj mccollum is is the best you're going to get right now then you hold ben simmons and go into the trade deadline when you have more leverage and right now, in terms of current player, it looks like CJ McCollum was the best that they were offered right now. So I think they should have gone into the um, uh, trade go in the trade deadline period when I think their leverage and other teams' willingness to make a trade will go up. So I can't really kill him too much. Um, I, I think it's mostly an incomplete. You know, I. It's funny because everybody was so excited when we hired Daryl Morey, where it's like, okay, he's not gonna he's not gonna do anything to jeopardize, you know, Embiid's prime. He's gonna be the one that makes all this work. When he got uh, Seth Curry for what was left of Josh Richardson, I thought that was absolutely amazing. I didn't, I don't know how the heck he finagled that away. Yep. Um, so I do agree that it's like. It's incomplete in a sense, but he still made some pretty damn good moves, like amidst the incompleteness. Like sure. there's there's sure. one or two little things that are like really good, but but by and large, until he gets the Simmons trade done, I kind of agree with you. It's it's more or less incomplete just because there's not there's not much there that he's really done yet. You know, I think I think the way the sentiment towards Maury is gonna go largely by you know, it's one thing for us to sit here and say he should hold on to Ben and trade him from a position of strength and wait until the trade deadline. It's easy to say that in August. When you've lived through it, uh-huh. it's a lot tougher. <laughs> and that doesn't change the, the decision, right? Yeah. But now you're sitting here and you're like, 
man, this team, it's mediocre. There's so many holes on the team. You could have filled it by trading him. I had to deal with Ben Simmons and all the drama, like just uh-huh. get him off the team. Uh, and I think that can cloud us a little bit, but I do think it was the right call. And I do think, you know, I, I think my big concern is how much is the trade going to be better by waiting? And if you do make the trade at the trade deadline, can you real, realistically reshuffle enough that you need to in order to make them a contender? And that would be tough. But I just don't think the trades were there in the offseason to make. Uh, that's the one thing. And it's, it's, it's one thing. When they got to training camp and he wasn't traded, I think the decision to keep him until the trade deadline was pretty easy to make. Tougher to live through, easy to make. <laughs> but what, what was there in the summer, in the in the free agency period or the draft, uh, what offers were there? And we truthfully don't know all that much. It doesn't sound like there's anything that was imminent. The players that I think he was targeting in Dame and, and Beal didn't become available. There wasn't any firm trade offer that was reported that I think would have moved the needle. But the only question I might have is, well, what actually was the best offer in the summer? And will he end up beating that here at the trade deadline? And I just don't know that right now. And Daryl has always had that reputation of I'm not going to make a trade just to make a trade. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's also been really aggressive in changing things up if he, he feels like he needs to. Uh, yes. Like certainly if you look at Daryl Morey, his track record is being aggressive and changing, especially moves around the edges. Um, and for him to come back with the exact same team this year was a little bit surprising. But like I said, I think part of that is because you don't want to change the role players, the supporting pieces around Simmons. You don't know who he's going. Those new role players need to support. Mm-hmm. Do Do you think? How would you rank the reasons that Ben Simmons is not playing right now? Like, if there was theoretically, if their only goal was to get him back on the court, which they said they actually want to do, I don't know if I believe they think it's possible. But what would be something that you think would increase the chances he did play? Would it be firing Maury? Is that who his beefs with? Firing Doc? Trading Joel? Is it just the like go play in a bubble and there's no fans? How, how do you how do you break down the reasons Ben's not playing right now, other than uh, mental health? Well, I I don't think you can necessarily cross that one off. And I, I like a lot of people will be like, oh well, he's scared to play and mental health is an excuse. Well, they're kind of two different ways of saying the same thing. Like yeah. if if part of his problem is anxiety, and that's just one aspect of mental health, but it's one I'll use an example here. If he has an anxiety disorder. Well, when the whole arena hates you, like that might impact that. So I think fans like to throw around like soft as a pejorative when it's like, well, no, but if we have a more nuanced conversation, like there's overlap here. I think a lot of things went on this. I think the trade hardened request or hardened rumors last year being put in that trade was certainly the first major step towards where we've gotten to. Uh, I don't think that was appreciated, which quite frankly, I think if you look back, at the time, I think it was pretty predictable that that could have caused some friction. Um, I think the him feeling like he can develop better on a team built around him is probably pretty big on that that list. And I think the you know the the, the fans and the the way that everything went down after the Atlanta series would be the other third major strike uh, on there as well. You know, I think Embiid's comments afterwards didn't help. I think Doc's comments afterwards didn't help, especially if he already feels like, uh, you know, he's, he's sacrificing by having the team built around Joel, or if, you know, he feels like the organization has a preference toward Joel, uh, those didn't help, but I don't think those comments 
after game seven are like the reason. I don't think firing Doc or firing um, Daryl would, first of all, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't. No, no, you wouldn't do it. No, 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 no. But I don't, I, I don't think that would even fix it. Uh, no, I don't okay. think that would fix it. No. Do you think it's fair to blame Daryl for some of the comments, including post game seven, but then beyond? Like sometimes even well-intentioned comments, I think Tobias Harris, Danny Green hinted that, you know, be nicer to him. Don't boo him so much. Now we're not all built like that. I know Joel went that road. You know, we're not all built to get booed. I am. Uh, and Doc's comparing his camp to like Trump supporters. Do you think Which at any point, by the way, do you think at any point Maury just said, I need to, to tell everyone to stop talking publicly. We have a lot of dirty laundry. That's just not helping either him play or his trade leverage, our trade leverage. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think, again, I don't think those comments help for sure. Because a lot of times when you're trying to get through something like that, like you need every, every little bit just becomes additive and becomes just a little more weight that you can't overcome. But again, I think the crux of it are those the three I, I mentioned earlier, the, the trade, uh, the hardened trade rumors, um, the fan reaction and the, the building a team aspect. But certainly I think, I think all those other things just added up to it. Um, you know, if you're if you're Ben Simmons and, and you're already not happy with the situation, like being compared to Trump supporters, probably not <laughs> helping. But, you know, I don't think again, I don't think that is everything that material materially changed where we're at. And as much as we tr- put uh, so much of the focus of the blame on like Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, so on and so forth, what have you. Like, let's not forget that, like Rich Paul and his team are not without blame here. Like, oh. I always try to make sure that that is abundantly clear. Like, there was screw-ups on both sides here. 1,000%. And look, there's a, there's a part of me that says, okay, well, we'll call it anxiety. We'll call it a mental health problem. Um, there could be truthfulness to that. He could also be using that or bringing it up now as a reason to justify not coming back. Like, that sure. can both be, it can both be true that it's there and also true that he's bringing it up now for his own purposes. But if that if that is true, then Rich Paul just completely botched the situation in the spring, made the made made his client's life significantly worse, uh, and, and certainly there there is nobody here, and Benson is certainly is not a blameless victim here, uh, in in any real respects, and we're and we're, we're focusing a lot on what has led Benson to this point that he feels this way. That in no way means that he hasn't made missteps along the way. And certainly the way Rich Paul, and look, there's part of this that is built in the CBA where they have to sort of like act like a fool in order to um, apply any kind of leverage. Rich Paul should have read, read the room a little bit and realized that with four years left, it wasn't going to work. But acting like that certainly made um, Ben's life tougher for sure. We are on the Outer Side podcast with Dave Early and special guest Derek Bodner. We are going to take a quick breather, uh, satisfy the admin, and we'll be back in a little bit with Derek Bodner on the Outer Side podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. We're back on the Out of Sight podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. I am your host, Adil Royster. Uh, Dave Early is on the podcast, along with special guest Derek Bodner, talking about uh, just Derek's thoughts about the season so far. We left off with some Daryl Morey talk, but let's get into the the coach that uh, does the best that he can with the team that he has. Uh, Derek, what what bothers you the most about Doc so far? Uh, I can tell you my biggest uh, thing that just I, I hate so much uh, the the Tobias plus bench lineups. Can we just can we just fire those into the sun like for real? Like I can't yeah. do it anymore. Yeah, they've but... they've never been good um, in the, <laughs> the lineups. Uh, Doc, I think I do think we tend to overstate the impact of coaches. I said that under Brett Brown. I'll say that under Doc. You know, I think if taking a step back, not day to day, like I think the biggest way Doc could have impacted the team is by being the coach that he was billed at, which is somebody who's going to hold his players accountable. Uh-huh. I think if you looked back at his tenure in Clippers, I, I think if you really inspected that, it would have been, I'm not sure if that's truly who he is, but if he could have gotten Ben Simmons to take that next step, that's where he could have made the, the biggest impact on this franchise. But in terms of day-to-day, um, the commitment to the all-bench units annoys, or mostly bench units, so one starter and four bench players, uh, I do think is too strict. You know, I would love to see Tyrese Maxey staggered a little bit more. So he's playing more minutes without Joel Embiid. I do think he is too regimented in his need to have a traditional big on the floor at almost all times. Mm-hmm. He's experimented a little bit more this year, uh, even though I think this is the roster he's had that has the least potential. As a small ball unit, uh, he's at least tried it, but I think he wants his his big men on there whenever he can get them. Um, then that goes back to your Andre Drummond, uh, who I, I I get that you enjoy watching him play, but I don't know that he's always effective. Um, you know, look, I think I think coaches outside of a couple, outside of your Spos or your prime pop, uh, I think we tend to Brad Stevens for a couple years there before I think he got burned out. I think they very rarely move the needle in significant, massive ways. I don't think Doc is a bad coach. I think he's a frustrating at times coach um, who was probably overrated because he won that one championship and, 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 and was a prominent voice in the league. And right now is probably a little bit underrated because now we get to pick them apart on a day-to-day basis uh, when all coaches have their idiosyncrasies that will drive you insane. Um, so I think, well, I think Doc is doing a C-minus job. Uh, I think C-. the I think the major problems with the team are roster related and the fact that you have thirty five million dollars sitting wherever Ben Simmons is sitting, but uh, I don't think Doc is necessarily helping the situation either. Where, where do you think he he ranks as a coach? Top ten, eleven to twenty, twelve? I'd have to sit down. I don't actually go through. I, I always not, give not precise. These, no, no. I always give these ranges though, and I don't actually spend a whole lot of time thinking about it because you six only have one coach. Um, <laughs> I would say probably in the 10 through 14 range, somewhere like slightly above average, just above average. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't like I, like I said, I don't think he's one of the five that really move the needle. I don't think he's one of the five that really, you know, are an anchor on your team. I think he's somewhere in the 
if he's not your coach, you probably think highly of him. And if he's your coach, you spend every moment of your day nitpicking him. Uh, but that's what you do with most middle of the pack coaches. They almost I, they almost hired uh, Teron Lou. Do you think he would move the needle? I think he'd be. I think it'd be better. Yeah, uh, he, he doesn't change like change him into a contender, but I think he'd be more. Yeah, I I, I think he would help. He would help. I, I feel like Lou would definitely be a little bit more flexible with the yeah. modern NBA, like what you were saying. Like Doc needs to have that big man on the floor, like at all times. I feel like Lou because he played because he coached with you know lebron james for as long as he did like he he appreciates the value of like that small ball lineup and where the nba is going now yeah no i think flexible is probably the right way to, to say that um you know i think even just embracing the three-point line a little bit more and you know part of that when brett brown was here they really tried hard to get tobias comfortable launching threes at a higher rate and that led to one of the worst years of tobias mm-hmm. at least of prime tobias harris he just wasn't comfortable doing that so doc got here and sort of like let him revert back last year and get back into his comfort zone led to a career year from Tobias, but it didn't fundamentally change who Tobias was as a player. I'd like to see him try to actually change some of the makeup of Tobias as a shooter, because that's the only way Tobias is going to be even close to worth that contract. Uh, I would like to see them embrace the line. And it is funny because now I think Doc gets frustrated by it. (laughs) And Tobias, I mean, I don't not think like we all see him on the sideline, waving his arm, getting frustrated at him. Um, But I think, I think they needed to try to, change those habits uh, a little bit earlier. But and yeah, that, no, I think, I think Lou would be a better coach. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed with doc since he's been here is definitely that lack of experimentation. Like he has his units mm-hmm. and like, that's it. And now Matisse and Maxi play a lot. It's not really that great. Uh, Matisse and Danny green have been really good, but they don't really play together. Like do are they just not sharing this information with the staff or like, do they just, do they just know that like trying to talk him into it is pointless? Like, I don't, I don't get it sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes Daryl um, probably views some of the lineup data as too small sample size to have too much value to, uh, you know, I think. But not like Ben and Dwight. No, like, no, by that, God, I mean, no. last God, year, is, no. the Ben Dwight and the Ben Dwight Matisse lineups had a high, but I'm talking like when we're, you know, 30 yeah. games into the season, not yeah. the season. Um, no, I think, I think Doc's 100% fair critique that he gets stuck in his ways, finds his patterns. I mean, you go back to his Clippers days. I think his, his, his last year with the Clippers, his third most used lineup was an all bench lineup that got destroyed. And that was their third most used lineup. And he just didn't adjust and i think oh he thinks that players will get uh comfortable playing with each other and learn their you know how to play alongside of each other and especially in a year like this where the lineup's changing every day on a daily basis and the rotations are never going to be consistent anyway uh i i think it's going to end up hurting them in the long run we just saw Montrez harold get ejected from a sure. basketball game we think <laughs> of him as one of the biggest reasons doc is even here because yeah. He overplayed him in the playoffs in the bubble, and part of that was why he got fired, and apparently he defended that idea. He said, I, I didn't really have a great point guard, and I was good with those lineups. Um, but sort of to Adio's point, do you think there's some something to this where Doc gets something in his head and wants to do it no matter what the feedback, no matter what the data, and that's so we're destined to see – you know, I watched the Nets and when Steph Curry and company came to town, LaMarcus Aldridge, who was playing really, really well, he, he logged like nine minutes that game. Sure. And Steve Nash was hyper aware of the matchups 
in a way I'm not sure Doc Rivers uh, is. Is that something that you could say we can fairly expect to continue to happen as well? I mean, we watched the Hawk series last year, right? Like, you don't, <laughs> you don't need me to answer this one. <laughs> Look, I think I think Doc's a real good regular season coach by and large. I think he's slow to adjust uh, in the playoffs. I think he's slow to adjust when something comes along that takes him that needs to take him outside of his established pattern. You you had a quote on a pod from like last February talking about, you know, under Doc Rivers, Ben Simmons, he's your second best player. He sort of retreated into his shell a little bit. I would like, I think you talked about like to see them stagger his minutes with Joel Embiid. And now we're rehashing those same type of conversations about Tyrese Maxey. Do you think the the decision to to lock these starting lineups is now impacting Tyrese in the way that it maybe impacted Ben last year, where it's kind of hard to play with uh, a heliocentric center. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's a little more justification for playing Maxi alongside of Joel, just because it's so important for the two of them to get chemistry together. And they're so early in their days playing alongside of each other. So I give them a little more leeway in that regard. Whereas with Ben and Joel, we sort of do, you know, their own strengths, how well they played together, what their strengths were together, what their weaknesses were together. Um, so I think it made sense to stagger them more. I do think it still makes a little bit more sense. Uh, I haven't checked these numbers recently, but I know as of not too long ago, I think Tyrese was playing something like 26 or 27 of his like 34 minutes per game alongside Joel, mm. uh, which is almost, you know, a, a very high percentage of his, his minutes. So the question is, you know, if you, he plays like maybe 20 minutes per game alongside Joel, is that going to impact their ability to develop chemistry together? If it does, how much? Um, or is it because maybe he can be a little more aggressive, a little more comfortable for longer stretch of the game? He'll be a little more aggressive now when he's sharing the court with Joel. Like, how does that all play off of each other? You know, I think certainly in terms of winning games this year, staggering their minutes a little more aggressively would help. Um, in terms of Maxi's own development, I think there's arguments on both sides. But yeah, I would I would generally stagger Maxi and Embiid more. I don't think it's quite as egregious as it was with uh, Simmons and Embiid, though. I, I guess this right. is kind of the million dollar question then when we're talking about Doc and, and Daryl and all like that. Like, if it wasn't for like the contract, like that collaborative offered, um, do you think Daryl would fire Doc Rivers? Yeah, I, 50, mil- it wasn't, $50 million dollar question. <laughs> I don't think, like, if I if I remember in doing all the reading, like, I what was it like 540? What did you get? Uh, five over 40, five over 50, something like that. But like, if I recall correctly, if you correct me if I'm wrong, but like Daryl wasn't a thousand percent on board with this. Like I, I can understand like a GM wants his guy, whoever that guy might've been, we don't know. Could have been Mike D'Antoni, which would have been fantastic for me. Like I would have had fun with that. Uh, all offense, no defense. Uh, Tyron Lou's name got thrown out there. So like I, even after this season, the way it's going, I can't a thousand percent say that, yeah, Doc will be back next season. Like I, I'm not, I'm not about to go out on that ledge. No, I wouldn't go out on that ledge. I would say a couple things, you know, first of all, GMs by and large don't fire coaches when they're winning, even if they want to bring in their own guy, they, they just don't do it. Um, you know, there has to be a lot of pressure on the GM for him to fire a coach with years on his contract. Mm-hmm. That pressure isn't yet there, but it certainly could be if uh, if the season goes uh, uh, you know goes but sideways. Does he secretly want to? That's a it's a fair fair question. You know, I think by and large GMs want to bring in their own coach. Uh, they want to. That was certainly true a couple years back with Brett Brown and 
Colangelo. Uh, he, he never had the opportunity per se to do that because Brett was winning at that time and, and public sentiment was on his side at that time. So, I'm not going to speculate too much because I just don't like Daryl, even if he wanted to, would lie his ass off to me. And that's what he should do. You know, like last January when he said that they would ne- never trade Ben Simmons. Yeah, we don't, sens- part- we don't sensationalize on this podcast. Sure. Well, but like part of his job is to lie, and I get that. <laughs> but I think there's certain you could certainly speculate and say he'd probably like to bring in his own coach. Um, and again, it's speculation. I don't know exactly what their relationship is like. Um, and like I said, Daryl would lie to me, even has lied. To, well, I don't want to say has lied to me. Daryl has been a hundred percent supportive. <laughs> Daryl has been a hundred percent supportive of Doc Rivers anytime I asked. <laughs> But I do think it's reasonable to think would a GM want to bring in his own coach? And I also think if there continues to be a lot of pressure on Daryl, that increases the chances for sure. Well, a lot less scoops for the daily six coming now. Yeah. Uh, wasn't um, worried about that anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you mentioned that um, they, they, there were whispers that they might not have been close going back to their days in Boston. I remember that moment last year yeah. where Daryl signed Anthony Tolliver and we all were thinking, oh, now he can play less Mike Scott and Dwight Howard. And Doc gets up there and he's like, minutes for Tolliver? What do you want me to do? That's, <laughs> yeah. that's Tobias? And I thought to myself, how would Daryl hear that? Like, is that some sort of, well, I can't change what I'm doing just because Tolliver's here now? It made sure. me think maybe they're not on the same page. Well, and like I, I have heard from people um, that they weren't super close when they were in Boston together, but they were in Boston, you know, for one year. And that was like, decade and a half ago. Um, right. So certainly things could have, in their relationship could have changed. And even if they weren't close in one year, like, okay, it was one year. Um, it wasn't a longstanding relationship where they were uh, at odds. With. But well, you tweeted well, in 2014 that Doc said analytics is just part of the gumbo. Wow. wow. <laughs> this, this is what I mean. Whenever, whenever he starts oh. liking random posts, he makes me freaking paranoid. <laughs> Look, Doc is not the most analytically inclined uh, by advanced statistic inclined coach in the league. That's for sure. Uh, Daryl Morey is one of the most uh, in the league as a GM. Um, so yeah, he, you could certainly speculate that he might want a coach who would embrace that a little more. Uh, and watching this team right now has to be just driving Daryl bonkers with Tobias Harris as your top perimeter option um, and the style of play that he plays. And even Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. And look, Joel Embiid's good enough where you, you, you're fine with that. You want him taking those mid-rangers, especially now that he's starting to make them like he did last year. Uh, and Tyrese Maxey, you hope, can grow his his pull-up jumper deeper as his career progresses. But right now, that's where his comfort zone is. Um, but yeah, you would certainly, uh, going in a big circle, you could certainly speculate that Daryl would uh, would would be open to both, you know, bringing in his own coach with the own style that would embrace his, his style as well. Uh, that's how many guys... Ugh, how many guys tight. have to get COVID before they bring in Mike Scott? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I, uh, I I I'm hope... very happy with that. You know, I don't, I don't even want to. I don't even want to talk about that because that would mean that the world is pretty much ending. Uh, <laughs> and the whole team has COVID, and that's just a very bleak outlook on life. <laughs> yeah, let's not... yeah, 20, 2021 is already so much of a dumpster fire day. Why would you do that? Why? Well, <laughs> <laughs> just thought get, that was the best kind of levity we, we can get i get we want to have fun and it's like all the fun angles that we could have with the Sixers team but can we just not do that what is Sixers what is mike scott like had... 29 is he even 30 yet? no he's i think he's he's 
He's not that old though, right? Is he not even was he 30? Four year player at Virginia. He, yeah, he was he was definitely there for a while. How old is Mike Scott? I'm just wondering. I'm gonna get to the office, aren't I? We're just, just 33. We're just okay, wondering okay. like what fun players could we bring in that just just more storylines. Like Tyler Johnson should uh create storylines for about a week and a half or so, just just for hairstyles alone. <laughs> and teeth, teeth styles. And, and 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 dental uh dental comments which... oh that's right mike scott was 24 when he made his nba debut yeah he's older than I thought. that's right wow well i will i will say this and I'll, I'll ask i'll ask this question there's kind of a ceiling that a lot of us have for this team and i don't know what yours is personally derek i think i'm in the camp where i'm already expecting like first round playoff exit probably that would be my most likely barring some major trade i don't know if i can necessarily make that distinction without a simmons trade but that's kind of where i am right now like depending on what we get back for simmons i'll reevaluate but right now first round exit and i'm pretty much uh i'm pretty resigned to that fact yeah and obviously a lot of that will depend on what the matchup is like but in terms of quality of team yeah they're a, a first round Maybe if the, the bracket breaks right, they can get the second round, um, but that would be a high-end outcome. This is not a conference finals or better team right now. They're not even close. Um, you know, Joel Embiid is good enough that he can make another team scared, but he needs more help. He needs way more help, and this is a team with so flawed. And it's one thing if they had anything that they could really hang their hat on, but offensively, they're just far too incomplete uh, and without enough reliable options and defensively they're not good enough where if any one of two happens if either Joel Embiid has an off night or your three-point shooters have an off night you can get run off the floor by anyone in the league because they just don't have very much to hang their hat on winning four out of seven is uh is a stretch right now for sure I I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this team no you look around this team besides Joel Embiid you wonder like how many teams would Tobias Harris start on and then after him it gets it gets even worse, right? How many teams would Seth Maxi start? And they don't have many bona fide starters, any team where you could plug and play at this point. I know they were built to have three big players, Joel, Ben, and Tobias. Uh, really, they're just getting that production from one. If there yeah. was – go ahead. No, go ahead. You're right. If there was one or two guys besides Ben Simmons you think might get traded, who would you, who would you look at? I really wonder what they're going to do with the Maxi Curry – pairing i have my serious questions whether that can work in the playoffs yeah defensively but curry is one of the best fits Joel and beat has had and tyrese maxi is a big part of your future so i'm not going to list either of them i just threw that out i i go i go to some of the salary matchers um danny green just because he's got that you know next year's a a a non-guaranteed so in terms of if when you start looking at pieces that could be added alongside of Ben Simmons in a trade to match salary. Uh, he would certainly become beneficial, especially when you start talking about three or 14 trades. Uh, I would probably list him. Um, Shake, I think has pretty positive trade value and wouldn't be quite as disruptive as trading Maxi. So I think you could see that. And I mean, Matisse, maybe there's another team that looks at him and says, look, get him into our gym with our shooting coaches. We can fix this. But I think if you're the Sixers right now, you have to look at him and say, it's just not happening. The yeah. shot's not coming around. He probably still has trade value now in, in the league, positive trade value in the league. Let's capitalize on that before 
he becomes a 27 year old who can't shoot at all, uh, and that trade value is gone. So those if, are if kind of where all, my head's at. Yeah, sell high, high on sell high on Matisse while he's like a defensive player of the year candidate. I, that's what I would do. And and while he's still on his rookie contract, because that too, two years from now his trade value could be completely different. All right, we'll get one more one more question out of you, and then we'll let you uh, get back to the daily six. We'll let you rock. <laughs> um, if if Joel Embiid were to heaven forbid sprain an ankle and was going to be out for like three weeks, is there any like, chance they would get a little bit more aggressive on some of those deals and and stockpile assets? Like maybe I could get a pick for Danny Green. I think he once traded Kyle Lowry for like the thirteenth pick. Sure, which was eyeing Harden, um, the Stephen Adams selection by <laughs> Colangelo. So many synergies. Do you think they yeah. might do like a fire sale if if something went wrong? Not for three weeks. I think would have to, I think Joel would have to be out long and that basically Joel Embiid's going to come back on the season uh and and you know look especially with the play in they could slip quite a bit and still Joel Embiid's going to want to pursue that play in yeah. spot or a playoff spot. Uh I think it would be real tough to go up to Joel and be like look we're going to miss 3 weeks here with a bone bruise or whatever. We're going to start trading away guys who could help us make a playoff run. I think that would be a real tough sell on Daryl's part. Even if if Daryl might want to, even if Daryl might want to do a, a stealth tank thing. I'm certainly not suggesting he is, but even if he did want to, selling that to Joel when there's a chance you can make the play-in or the playoffs would be real tough, uh, and I would be surprised if Daryl does it. Now, if we're, we're talking about Joel Meade's going to miss the next three months, then, yeah, sure, start selling. Uh, but three weeks a month, I think that would be a tough sell. Dave Early, always, always a pleasure having you on. Derek, thank you so much for gracing uh, my podcast with your presence. This has actually been a long time coming for me. And if I can say so, because you don't like to, uh, you don't like to sell yourself. Uh, may I just say that I've been a fan of yours since your Liberty Ballers days. You are probably one of the main reasons why I decided fan posting on Liberty Ballers, why I'm a staff writer on Liberty Ballers, why I'm a podcaster on Liberty Ballers. So in many ways, I thank you for so much having to do with my uh, NBA reporting career. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. And like I said, I'm, I'm real bad about talking about myself and selling myself. Um, but Daily Six, the reason like I just my whole goal is to take a step back Try to be honest about what stuff means uh, and add context to help your understanding, whether it's salary cap explainers or, um, you know, advanced statistical dives or just tea leaf reading. Uh, I think there's a lot of hyperbole and sensationalism that comes in both reporting and in, uh, in analysis. And my, my goal is to my goal is to avoid that. Uh, and I think this is the right spot for me. You're, you're one I of the good up, eggs, Derek. Yeah, I signed up for The Athletic when you first went there without any other information about it. I was like, all right, he's doing this. I'm going to do it. And I felt the same way about Daily Six. So I, I recommend anyone do it. You'll, you'll feel like a smarter fan and you'll be able to avoid some of those Sixers, Sixers truisms that we all say. You'll know whether or not they're true. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We will link up to Derek's uh new venture in the description for the podcast go subscribe you won't get the founders uh discount but that's okay still do it because like Derek's one of the best at what he does so uh Derek once again thank you so much for coming on the podcast you're welcome to come back anytime <laughs> you like seriously um Dave always a pleasure talking to you uh Derek I'm sure people know this already but um uh, What's your uh, Twitter handle for, you know, instant communication? <laughs> sure. Uh, Derek Bodner, NBA. 
on Twitter. Thank you once again. Uh, we will be back next week in the new year. It will be 2022, the next time uh, the Out of Sight podcast broadcast. But until then, be safe, be, self, be healthy. Uh, yeah, go Sixers. And that's just about it for us. We're getting out of here. So talk to everybody soon. Thank you.